The human eye is only able to perceive a tiny fraction of the full spectrum of light in our world. Seeing beyond the capabilities of the human eye is made possible with spectral imaging. With benefits seen in agriculture, healthcare, and several other industries, spectral imaging is transforming sight by taking us beyond the human eye. From Vivid Machines, I'm Cassie Turkstra, and you are listening to Vivid Machines Variety. Today we are joined with Joseph Peller, who is skilled in a variety of interesting tech industries, such as mathematical modeling, neural networks, data analysis, and spectroscopy. Joseph's PhD research was in cancer detection and using spectral imaging, but now he's applying those techniques in agriculture, and he's also currently a researcher in the Netherlands. He's the perfect guest to discuss spectral imaging with us on the show today, so thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Cassie. To start off today, it would be great if you could give a brief explanation on what is the difference between a regular camera and a hyperspectral camera. Sure. So a normal camera, one that you would either, say, buy off the shelf or one that you could even use on your phone, um, takes color images by taking three different images and kind of smashing them together. Whenever you push the button on a camera, it takes three images, a red one, a blue one, and a green one. Now this works fine for everyday use, but for scientific imaging, it tends to be a little bit frustrating because all of those secondary colors are just formed from mixing all your primaries together. And if you're trying to examine an object that's say yellow, uh, that actually requires you to look at how bright or dark an image is in each of the primary colors. What spectral imaging does is that if you imagine that instead of just taking a red, blue, and green image, you took, say, seven images with all the colors of the rainbow, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and violet, well then each color has its own distinct image. And if I wanted to see a yellow object, then all I'd need to do is look at one picture. So that's kind of what a spectral camera does, except instead of seven images, it can take anywhere from a few dozen to hundreds at really, really specific colors. Um, and the other advantage is that it doesn't really have to be a color. It can be other places along the spectrum as well. Okay, that's great. So from my understanding, spectral imaging is a combination of two different methodologies. There's imaging and spectroscopy. And I know you have an extensive experience and background in spectroscopy. So can you explain to our listeners just what this is? Yeah, and I think that will also help me with trying to explain what I was trying to say a second ago. So spectroscopy, what it really boils down to is it's a field of analysis that looks at how light interacts with the world around us. Light normally can only interact with the world in three ways. It can either bounce off of things, which is reflection, it can move through things, or it can be absorbed into an object. And when that happens, it normally either heats up the object, but sometimes cool things happen like fluorescences and glows. Spectroscopy then is the analysis of how those things happen. And it's used in almost every field of science to some degree because the color of an object is at its core spectroscopy. You may recall from like schooling that, that if you look at white light, it's actually made up of like all the colors of the rainbow. 
<laughs> yes, I remember those little experiments in class, too. I got a little prism, I think, at one point, and you put it in the way and you get to split the light. Yeah, exactly. So when we see an object's color, like, say, like a red ball or mm-hmm. a red apple, what we're really seeing is just that is you hit it with white light and the red color that comes back is reflected off of the apple. All of the rest of the light that strikes the apple is interacts with it in, a diff, in some other ways. And why it's interacting, why is the blue and the green not coming back to your eye, is all, all has to do with the material aspects of the apple. Like, are the pigments in the skin of the apple absorbing the blues and greens? Is it the way that the structure of the surface is? Is the flesh of the apple somehow allowing some of the light to transmit through? All that information is present in the light that's reflected back to your eye. And and if you could analyze that, you can actually pull that information out of the light without ever having to, like, say, rip apart the apple and look at it under, like, a chemical test. Oh, wow. That's pretty fascinating. Can you explain what a band is? I kept reading that term, the bands and bandwidth, but I don't really know what that would be referring to. Yes. Okay. So that's just jargon to start off with. Okay. But... <laughs> As it often okay. is. So, so the way to think about this is that light, this is the, coming back to this again, light is a wave. Mm-hmm. And when you scientifically try to measure colors, every color is a wave of light at a very specific wavelength. So the wavelength of light can change, like the actual distance it takes for light to finish one up and down rotation. We measure colors using their wavelengths. And so something that's say green has a wavelength around 500 nanometers. So they're very, very, very small waves, but they're waves. A band is just a collection of those waves. It's short for wave band, but it just means you have five or six or seven colors, wavelengths of light that are kind of grouped together and that's a band. A related term, bandwidth, which you'll see, is just how many of those wavelengths you're kind of collecting together. So if you have a very, very narrow bandwidth, you're going to be looking at like one or two very, very specific colors of light. And if you have a very large bandwidth, you're going to look at a lot of the light. Okay. And then I guess that that would affect, well, what we're going to talk about in the electromagnetic spectrum. Yes, the, the wider the band width of light, the more of the spectrum you can look at at one time. And with a normal camera, like the one that we, we use, right, mm-hmm. for everyday use, those are very, very large bandwidths. They have, um, normally they're about, I think, 50 to 100 nanometers across, okay. and they, they're centered on blue, red, and green. Spectral imaging normally takes those bandwidths and brings them in really, really tight. So you can get really specific colors and really specific wavelengths of light. Oh, that's so cool. As you mentioned, uh, the human eye is relatively lacking in terms of the range that we can see. I mean, like some insects can see more wavelengths than we can. But we talk about the electromagnetic spectrum and where our sight fits into that compared to spectral imaging. So where would the human eye fit onto that scale? I know we briefly just talked about that, but can you explain a bit more like what we would be able to see on the electromagnetic scale? 
So for once, scientists did not do a jargon here. The area <laughs> of the spectrum that we can see is called the visible spectrum. Oh yeah, that's um, not jargon. That is exactly yeah, what it is. Exactly. <laughs> um, and it goes from, like I said, from violet, which has a wavelength of about 400 nanometers, to red, which is about 700 nanometers. Now, we can see there because the majority of light from our sun is in this range. And so our eyes probably evolved to make use of that range. But as you kind of mentioned, there are other materials in the world that can see outside of that. Bugs can see into the ultraviolet and the things that we make cameras out of can also are also sensitive to ranges outside of the visible. Silicon, which we use to make most sensors and most electronics in the world, can actually see down to about 320 nanometers, so into the ultraviolet range, and also up to about 1,000 nanometers. So we can see a little bit into the infrared. Um, if you've ever seen those pictures of the infrared pictures that you can take with your phone where you can yeah. kind of see the trees are white, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but those are super cool. There's also new sensors on the market now from a material called gallium arsenide, which actually picks up even farther into the infrared than that. It's known as the shortwave infrared. And that's kind of interesting for agriculture because that's where water uh, absorbs very strongly. So you can actually use shortwave infrared to look at like water content and stuff. Wow, that's so cool. So I could see this application of the system being used in several different fields, anything from healthcare to surveillance. So have you seen any interesting integrations of spectral imaging that you want to share with our listeners as just to stand as an example of its capabilities? So I have to be a little bit careful here. Um, as you mentioned, I work at Wageningen University in the Netherlands, and we actually do a lot of research most of the time uh, with these kind of technologies. And so I don't want to accidentally break a confidentiality agreement. Of course, that makes sense. <laughs> do not, don't do it for the podcast. No, no, not yet. Um, <laughs> but very broadly, uh, and you mentioned that my background was in, was in medical imaging. So mm, cancer research, cancer research. So one of the fascinating things about cancer, um, oral cancers and certain types of skin cancer is that the tumor, when it grows in the body, will change the way the tissue forms and change the chemistry of the body around it. And so you can actually use spectral imaging to kind of find where the collagen in like the skin or in the tissue is bunching up. And you can see it very clearly in spectral imaging um, where if you were using like a regular visible uh, camera or with your eyes, you have to kind of push on the skin and feel the hard marks. So are you then using spectral imaging to see how the cancer is changing the body? Yes. So you can oh, wow. literally see that as the tumor grows, you can watch it kind of, um, as it grows, it's a mass of hard collagen. You can watch it kind of spread around the, the area where it's growing and it changes the chemistry of the tissue. Yeah. That's terrifying, but fascinating all at the mm -hmm. same time. <laughs> Uh, spectral imaging has been used in the art world as well because it, you can use the, the spectrum of the pigments off of art to actually determine exactly what kind of pigments were used to make like the, the arts of like the great masters or something. So you can use it there as well. And it's actually like a really cool subset of, of spectral imaging. Oh, yeah. That gives you a lens through time. That's mm -hmm. amazing. 
that's all super interesting. And we've talked a bit about agriculture, but I think going into some more agricultural based questions would be great. I've seen these cameras being used to differentiate between green apples on green leaves in apple orchards. And that kind of makes sense to me based on the color capabilities that you've explained and I've read about. However, the potential abilities of a camera to have early disease detection in crops is still hard to get my head around. Do you mind explaining just how this would be possible with a camera? Yeah, so it actually works on a very similar method as the cancer does. So think about something like um, plant disease. Most, most of the time when we detect a plant disease, what we're seeing are what are known as the visible symptoms of a disease. We're seeing the death of uh, tissue around an infection spite, or you're seeing the, the fungal spores as they grow up. Well, in both of those cases, they're growing on a living organism. They're growing on a plant, right? And in the same way that as cancer grows on the body, it changes the tissue around it. The same is true of almost all diseases with plants. So we can actually look for those changes in not the, the, in the, in the tissue and in the way that the plant's reacting before the, the visible symptoms first start to appear from the actual disease itself. You can kind of think of it like if you have like say lung cancer or something, it starts being harder to breathe before you actually start like coughing up blood, right? Mm -hmm. It's an earlier symptom where you start feeling a decrease in the efficiency of the body before you start noticing like real symptoms of the disease. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So a lot of the techniques that you'll see currently being used in spectral imaging are things that are looking at very broadly called plant health, um, which is kind of looking at how well the plant is using uh, chlorophyll and doing photosynthesis. Because as you, if you notice that that photosynthetic rate is dropping, then something's causing that, that drop in the plant. And it could be environmental. It could be stuff like uh, maybe it's not getting enough water or it's overheated. But it could also be from diseases that are destroying the plant from the inside. So, so that's kind of one of those first early detection methods that we're using at the moment. In your opinion, would you say that this technology would be worth it for smaller scale growers? And I don't just mean the disease detection, but a lot of the things that these cameras would be able to do. So they would most likely, I'm assuming, need a fast return on investment and most likely something that they could integrate into their already functioning system. Would this tech be worth it, in your opinion? At the moment, I really think it depends on what the grower is looking for. Mm -hmm. So if the goal is to have like a basic idea of what is the health of a crop in the field without having to go out and, and search for, for symptoms of wilting or disease every day, then I think the technology is there. If you want to look at it on the like on the scale of like a row or a field, that's definitely about where the, the, the level is. If you want to go plant by plant and leaf by leaf, I'm not sure that spectral imaging alone is at the point where, where it's good enough to be a reliable uh, indicator of plant health. Maybe if it's mixed with things like neural networking, then that would make more sense because with a 
multispectral image, you can easily highlight contrast in your images better than you can in a red, green, blue image. And maybe that could be used in the future to, to kind of improve those types of systems. Mm-hmm. Especially but, I could see if you were, you had five acres of land, mm-hmm. it would probably be less helpful than if you had 60 acres and you needed more data over a larger exactly. area. Exactly. If you have one acre and you're growing sunflowers, I think it's easier at that point to walk the sunflowers field. Yes, of course. But then it's all of also, a sudden you have 200 acres. <laughs> at that point, yes, put it on a tractor. Um <laughs> It's also, I think this is another thing that we've noticed, though, is that it's all well and good for to do imaging and spectral imaging and, and neural network detection to tell you, uh, like, if a plant is healthy or if you're looking for fruits and stuff. But a lot of that detection has to be coupled with some kind of strategy to, to address the issues that you find. So it doesn't really do you any good that if you drive a camera or fly a camera over your field and detect that corner of your field has water stress issues if there's no irrigation strategy to fix it. So I think that kind of level of control is also something that needs to go hand in hand with all of the detection methods that we're that we talked about. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of cases, you'd rather have both than none, I would assume. Like you'd rather have to know the problem and figure out a solution rather than not know the problem and then walk into it blindly. <laughs> Yes. I mean, yeah, because if you don't have any detection or any way to change your your strategy, right, then you Mm -hmm. just have to wait till harvest and then be like, "Uh uh-oh. And to finish off the podcast today, I thought it could be fun for you to give us either a common misconception you've heard regarding the technology or an interesting feature not many people know about or both. Okay, so... This one's going to be a little bit of a rant, but this is, I think, maybe useful to your uh, listeners. Of course, go on a rant. It kind of has to do with the naming conventions that you'll see if you're looking for spectral cameras. Out on the market right now, there are a ton of cameras that are out that are called spectral or multispectral or even hyperspectral. I've seen ultraspectral cameras now. What would an Um, ultraspectral camera be? Though that's the thing. They're all pretty much the same. So, oh, but that one sounds so much more fancy. <laughs> exactly. It's fantastic marketing. Um, <laughs> so in general, if you see the word multispectral in the market, it kind of means that there's probably on the order of tens of bands that are being observed. Maybe less than that, maybe a little bit more. Hyperspectral probably means there's hundreds of bands, but... Where, when something becomes multispectral, when it becomes hyperspectral, when it becomes ultraspectral, it's not defined. And so a lot of good marketers and good people trying to push like papers and stuff out there will kind of jazz it up and use the fancier term. Um, so if you're looking for some kind of camera or anything like that, I really, it, it's really important to not kind of be fooled by the, the prefix in front of spectral in your camera. The, the really important thing is the wavelengths of light that are chosen to look at. That's funny because when I was first looking at creating a topic for this podcast, I had multispectral and ultraspectral as my title for the page of my notes. And then I slowly was taking that away. You know what? I think it's just spectral imaging. 
then you break it down. I'll just keep it spectral imaging because like you said. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think it, I think at one time there was a hope that it would uh, like apply some kind of definition to the, to the field. And I think it's, um, well, people need to publish a lot of papers. And so. Thank you, Joseph, so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It was a pleasure not only getting the chance to talk to you, but learn from you. And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it as well. To our listeners that want to learn more, Joseph has been so kind to offer up his contact information to people that want to keep immersing themselves in these concepts and learn what it's all about. So I'm going to hand it to you, Joseph. Yeah. So uh, as you said, if any of your listeners want to get in contact with me, uh, you're welcome to email me at joseph.peller at wur.nl. And I'd be happy to chat about spectral imaging or plant health or anything at all that you that you want to hear about.